and welcome to the Grounded Magic Podcast. Today you're in for another treat. We are so happy with the amazing guests that are showing up into our world to interview for you, our listeners, the Magi Nation. Who we have today is Thorn Mooney, and Thorn Mooney is a witchy author and priestess and magician extraordinaire, so I'm really excited that we have her today. Thorn Mooney is a gardenerian priestess, a writer, an author, an academic, and a content creator. She's practiced in several different systems of magic, hangs out in plenty more, and is excited about all kinds of witchcraft and occultism. Find her on Instagram at, and TikTok at Thorn the Witch, and on YouTube as Thorn Mooney. And here she is. Hello, and welcome back to Grounded Magic. I'm April Tarot. And I'm Sabrina Marie Chase. And we're so excited to have Thorn Mooney in the house. Hello, Thorn. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you here. You are a prolific author in the witchy world, which is amazing. We met you at Sacred, the Sacred Space Conference, just fell in love with you and everything you have to say. So it's just such an honor to have you here. So thank you so much for coming on to the Grand and Magic podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was really exciting to see some, some familiar faces and meet new folks. That was a great event. So it's a pleasure. Yeah. So, so the first question we ask all of our guests is, what does magic mean to you, Thorne? That's a, a really difficult question, which I'm sure you know, uh, which is why you're asking it. Um, to me, magic encompasses a lot of things potentially, um, but my favorite is it's it's a it's a tool it's something operative it's something that um, you kind of can keep in your personal arsenal and whip out when your other tools either fail you or because they're just less appealing than this one i think of magic as a resource the same way i would think of money or a big network of people or a particular skill um, or a talent or a proclivity. I think magic is, um, it's something that you can reach for in the same way that you might reach for any of those other things to get stuff done. I love that. It's one of the tools in your toolbox. Yeah. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What are the threads of your life that have made up who you are and that brought you to this particular moment? And how do you see yourself or define yourself at this moment? I am less interested as I've gotten older in defining myself too stringently. There have definitely been times in my life where I have been deeply invested in how I am perceived when I was Young, for example, I was really hell-bent on being a musician and a songwriter and a performer. And it was really something that kind of aided me as a young person about like when I was justified in calling myself a musician, right? Did I have to be a performer? Did I have to write my own music at that point? Did I have to have people who wanted to listen to it? Did I have to be of a particular skill level? And it sounds really silly, when I say that out loud, but I think that that's the sort of thing that is normal for people to struggle with. And here I'm talking about music, but I think that's what people do when they think about being a witch or being a magician or an occultist. Like 
at what point is it okay to call yourself a witch? Like if, if magic, I just told you if it, that it was a tool, does that mean you have to use it like a certain number of times before it's really yours? If you put the tool down for a year, is it still your tool or do you stop being a witch, right? Um, and it sounds silly when I say it that way, but I think that's how we think. So even when you meet people, right, it's, it's what do you do? It's never, what are you interested in? It's always, what do you do? And most of the time people mean their jobs, right? Who are you? Um, and I feel like that's different in the different periods of my life and who I'm talking to. Um, I'm a student, I'm still a musician. <laughs> that's a word I'm comfortable with. Um, I'm a witch, I'm, I'm a lot of things. Um, and I don't have the same kind of anxieties that I used to about what words I apply to myself or whether or not anyone else agrees with those words. Mm. I so love that. I feel like I've gone through a very similar journey. Like I've been mostly, um, like I, I've, I've been in part of one coven and it was very eclectic. It wasn't regimented by any stretch of the imagination. And there's that whole, am I really a witch? When can I call myself a witch? I mean, for me, it was like the first time I did a ritual by myself, I felt initiated in that ritual and, oh, oh, this is home. Oh, I am a witch. Okay. What does that mean? And what does that look like? So I can totally relate to, it's almost kind of like imposter syndrome when you first start, right? Like, is this, is this really magic? Is this really what I'm doing? Well, totally. And I don't think it, it's not even just imposter syndrome so much, because I think that implies that it all comes from within, but in magical communities, a lot of it comes from without. I mean, remember how like vicious people were, you know, like in, I, I mean, I'm sure they still are. Okay. But I just remember exploring for the first time, um, right as the internet was becoming a thing and even a little bit beforehand and people were really just, um, I mean, today, I think young, younger folks would use the word gatekeeping, um, but it was really just meanness, you know, like you were never, you were never the right kind of witch or a good enough witch, or you weren't a real witch or whatever. And we've never gotten over that or given that up. Um, so in a lot of ways, I think when you choose to identify, I mean, here we're talking about witchcraft, but I guess with any particular identity, there's always the question of, am I doing it enough? Am I enough of this thing? Am I, do enough people agree? that I'm entitled to this thing. Um, and I'm glad that that has abated for me somewhat. And I don't know if that's age or if it's just learning more or if it's just being too tired to care. <laughs> you know? It might, it might be wisdom. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> and not seeking external validation and just, you know, validation from within, I think. Being tired is a pretty big factor too, I think. It does get really old. A few years of bickering between trads, between covens gets really, really tiresome after a while. And I think a number of older people in the community just step back from it. Totally. And I, I find myself wanting to comfort people at times, like at events when people come and chat with me after workshops or just in the comment section of the things that I'll post online or whatever. I can see that there's a lot of anxiety around those kinds of things. And I remember it so intimately 
from when I was younger and when I was newer. And there's a big part of me, and sometimes I'll say it, I'll, you know, I'll tell people, I promise that you won't care about this in the future. Like, and I, I think they think I'm being dismissive or like glib or something, uh, but it really is true. At some point you will have the fight enough that it will no longer matter to you. Um, people say all kinds of things about the validity of, I mean, everybody else, me in particular, right? It doesn't, it doesn't change just because you write a book or become a high priestess or start a coven or because one group likes you, you know, it, there's always going to be somebody who's really anxious to tell you that you're not real or not doing it right or not, not entitled to the thing or whatever. And if you have a meltdown every time that happens to you, you're just never going to get very far. Definitely not. It sounds to me like you're addressing alignment in a sense, because as you get older, those external forces that you're seeking to orient yourself by sort of fall away. And for many people, it becomes more an issue of aligning with your idea of spirit, aligning with your own idea of who you're meant to be. So it sounds to me like you're addressing that issue. Yeah, I think so. I think we have this idea of an authentic self. And I've got a lot of questions about, is that a real objective thing? Is that a social construct? And I don't think it matters so much whether or not the idea of like a central authentic self is real and something out there that we can go find, right? Americans in particular are really fond of the expression, I'm going to go find myself, mm. which implies that your real self is somewhere else and you have to go locate it. Um, it's not always the most like helpful metaphor, uh, but that's how we think about the self. And yeah, I do think that at some point you, you either realize that you're already there and you embrace it, or you reach out and take the thing and are comfortable with it for the first time. And it stops mattering I think those kinds of external pressures. So yeah, I think that's a fair way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I, I love it because for me, it, it's not just the destination of finding that authentic self. It's actually the journey of creating your authentic self. So I don't think there is a destination. I think it's that journey of discovering, oh, I don't care about this conversation anymore. Oh, that conversation doesn't serve me anymore. That conversation doesn't align with who I know myself to be. So I can just kind of let that go. I mean, especially in the time of internet now, I mean, like with all the trolls online and I mean, everybody's divisive about everything, right? So it doesn't matter what your message is to the world. I think you're going to get some negativity around that. And you're right. If you had a meltdown every time somebody disagreed with that, then you just, you couldn't function. Totally. I really like the idea of thinking about it as a creative act too, rather than as mm. a discovery. Like I, whatever wisdom that I possess right now at this moment <laughs> in my life, I didn't just stumble upon it. Mm -mm. I cultivated it really actively through things like conventional talk therapy and building relationships in my community and study and practice. And these are really intentional, active choices that I made um, that took a lot of time. I mean, it's, it's a little embarrassing, as I'm sure it is for most all of us. It's embarrassing to think about some of the things that I was really invested in when I was like in my 20s. You know, and I try to be kinder to 
my younger self, right? But I, like a lot of young people, I had a lot of struggles and a lot of questions and a lot of like really misdirected kind of energy. And I needed help to figure that stuff out. You know, I, I had a really nice network of people. It's, it's why and how I got involved in the craft too, right? Like that was a big component of this. Um, a lot of it was therapy. A lot of it was figuring out that like, hey, I actually have like a depressive disorder that I can treat medically and that will make my life better. So it wasn't a stumble. It was choices that I made um, and access to particular resources to make some of those choices. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of it being a creative act, like a series of choices that if we're lucky, we get to make for ourselves. I think that's the most productive attitude. I, I love this. I love where you're going. And I want to ask, so in your journey to witchcraft and becoming a magician and, and all of that, um, what did you learn about yourself through that process? Shit. I mean, I know it's a big question. <laughs> Just a couple. Yeah. Um, no big deal. Whatever. <laughs> um, I learned that this is going to sound bad, I think, but I think hang with me for a minute. I learned that I'm not special. Like I'm not as special as I think I am. Um, I think that there is a kind of attitude that floats around. And that's not to say that like individual human beings are not special. Like, of course we are in a way. What I mean by that is the rules aren't different for me. You know, like things don't just get rolled out for me because I'm the main character in my own narrative. And I feel like that's how, I feel like that's how most people approach life. I think that's very natural. I mean, you live inside of your own head. So that's the head that you prioritize. <laughs> um, but Studying the craft, practicing magic, engaging in the occult and being in magical communities, um, I saw that the stuff that I wrestle with and the stuff that I go through is not unique to me. There is no unique experience that I have had, right? Like I'm an amalgamation of a bunch of experiences. And that realization takes a lot of pressure off. If you no longer have to perform the protagonist role, <laughs> that's a lot of pressure off. Um, and I think, you know, when you're 22, thinking that you're not the main character can be like really like heartbreak. Like, what do you mean? I don't get to be a rock star. I'm not going to be a famous novelist. I'm not going to be a millionaire, what, whatever, you know. Um, but there's something to be said for being another person in the crowd just trying to make something with the set of tools that you have. Um, it was a, it was a big relief realizing that. I, I so hear you and feel you and see you. Cause I feel the same way. It was like, Oh, I, I think for me, it was more of a, there's so much more going on in the world that I don't know about. And, Oh, I'm just a small little speck on this beautiful planet that's spinning in the universe. And okay, what part do I play in this role? I'm not, you're right. I'm not the center of the universe. So I, I totally can feel, I can, I feel my 20 year old self going, oh, she gets me. <laughs> that the rude awakening that that was. Yeah. Um, my, my best friend Corvus uh, likes to stargaze and she talks about 
the universe and the galaxies and staring off into the aurora borealis on the upper peninsula of Michigan and how um, how that's the closest that she feels like she can get as far as like a connection to the gods. Um, and where a lot of people find that feeling of insignificance to be, I think, scary. A lot of people feel that way. For her, it's a reminder that her problems are actually smaller than they feel in the moment. And she's part of something really massive. And it makes the whole... It makes the whole kind of hurdle towards death, I think, a little bit more manageable. <laughs> so I'm interested in how, you know, once you sort of right size yourself, okay, I have these things, I'm beautiful, but I don't have to carry the weight of being the special flower that has to perform. That leaves you with the day-to-day -day choices of the creative acts of how you're going to become yourself, the practices that are going to make you yourself and how you choose them and put them together. How did you do that? Failing at a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, I think at some point too, the realization that you can't do everything or be everything or have everything. And sometimes you have to make choices. That's just inevitable. Um, and the advantage of those kinds of realizations, though, especially as you age, as you learn more, is that you realize that some of the things that you thought were important actually aren't very important. Um, and the beauty, I think, of exploring any sort of regular practice, whether it's witchcraft or something else. I mean, I've had really comparable experiences, like with athletics, you know, like engaging in sports or engaging in art or music. I think it's really comparable when you build a regular practice, you figure out really quickly what you actually like and what actually serves you. And I think the hard thing is accepting that the stuff that works for you might not be what's popular or what works for everybody else. Um, I think that especially new, new magic practitioners, um, it's very easy to kind of lean into what everybody's doing on social media or what all of the books say that you should be doing or what your high priest says you should be doing or whatever. And there's a difference between having a mentor and learning from other people and then allowing yourself to just kind of succumb to the pressure that, well, if it's great for everybody else, it must be great for you. Um, I think that's one of the things that really gets in people's way when they start. Um, so yeah, I, my, my practice, whatever that, whatever that means has really shifted. And I think just having the, the flexibility to allow it to shift without feeling guilty or without feeling like it's supposed to look a particular way has really been key. That, that's so important because I, again, back to my early twenties, when I first started the magical world, it's like, I'm doing it wrong. I must be doing it wrong. Or, oh my God, the, the self-flagellation for not doing a regular practice when I've got a really full and busy life. And, you know, maybe I don't practice every day. I don't open circle every day. Maybe it's just when I feel like it or when I feel called to, or when, as you said in the beginning of the interview, like when everything else isn't working, it's something that I can pull out of my hat. So I, I love that. And I, it's so easy to fall into the trap of it has to be this way. Like if I'm going to do yoga, I've got to do it every day, you know, or if I'm going to meditate, it's got to be every day. And 
just that whole self-flagellation of beating myself up if it doesn't, I think also gets in the way. Totally. Um, I, I think that I'm really careful to not use the expression daily practice. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly for that reason. Um, a regular practice. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you want to be good at guitar or whatever, you need to practice regularly. You need to have some kind of routine. But that doesn't mean that you have to do something for hours every day in the same way. And I think that there is this tendency, um, and if we really wanted to be intense about it, I would blame the Protestant work ethic. Like if we really want to get into it, I think that's a big part of the reason why we think this way. Like we think that labor and suffering kind of inherently is holy, like (laughs) in, in the West as a whole, but especially in the United States where Protestantism is just kind of in the water whether we're Protestants or not. Um, And I really want to resist that because the idea that you have to do a certain amount of a thing every day. And if you don't, you're bad, like you're a bad practitioner or a bad person or just a bad worker or whatever. Um, Like that's just objectively not true. Like regularity. Yes. And you know what, if, using my guitar analogy again, if I want to play for five hours every day, yeah, I'm going to be amazing. I hope if my practice is effective. Um, But there's something to be said for something shorter and less frequent, but longer, because I'm not going to be able to uphold a five hour long everyday guitar practice for the entirety of my life. At some point, I'm going to get ill. I'm going to have to travel, my work life is going to shift or whatever, and I'm not going to be able to maintain that. But if the goal is half an hour, three times a week, that's much more feasible. Um, And I think as a magician, as a witch, as any kind of occultist, figuring out what fits into the life that you have now and thinking about what sort of life you aspire to lead, those are the questions you need to ask yourself when you're making a choice about what you do. And I think a lot of the material out there, books, podcasts, internet content, like whatever, a lot of the times when people talk about those things, they're coming from very particular perspectives. Um, It's one of the reasons why as a witchcraft author, I talk so much about my day job. (laughs) It's not because I'm so thrilled that like I work a day job. (laughs) It's because there's a difference between a witch who's working a day job and a witch who is professionally doing witchcraft. Like one is not better than the other, but it means that we have different time constraints, different kinds of resources, different, I mean, it's, it'd be different if I had children, right. Or if I had an elderly relative, I was taking care of. If I lived in a small apartment with four roommates instead of like in a house, like that would drastically impact the kind of allowances I could make for a magical practice. And I think we have a tendency in our communities to speak sweepingly as though everybody's leading the same life. And I think that that does more harm than good. I agree. I love that you said that practice is going to vary for every person and it's going to change throughout their lives. It's going to vary with the way their lives move up and down and being open. That's important. Um, When I first began working with the mother piece tarot, I was really taken with the image of temperance which is a, it's a dancing woman, a dancing priestess. And I thought, yeah, that's what balances. It shifts and it moves. And that's a different way of looking at things. 
I think it also like it's tying both of those together. So it's just being a woman in a Western culture, right? Where we're demanded to be juggling everything, you know, being a career person, being a mom, being a, you know, having a good life outside of that, having extracurricular activities, you know, taking the kids here and there and all, all of those pressures of just being that woman in Western culture is we have to do it all. And you really don't need to do it all. Yeah. And I think that that flexibility that you were talking about, Sabrina, that's really, to me, that's the mark of somebody who is progressing towards any kind of adepthood. I think it's really easy to mistake it for laziness. I hear a lot of, well, if you were really that serious, you would find a way to have a daily whatever. Like if it was, and I've been guilty of saying stuff like that too, right? Like I say that, I say that to people all the time, you know, when, when you, I don't know, you invite somebody to do something and they keep canceling on you. Part of that probably just means that they're not prioritizing whatever it is that you want to do. It doesn't make them a bad person, but we tend to do the things that we prioritize. That's totally true, but it's also true that we need to be flexible. If we're talking about something that presumably is core to our whole lives, the entire body of years that we are alive, then we have to be flexible as that life changes. Um, and I think it's really easy to fall back into, well, if you prioritized it, you would find a way. If you loved your children, you would stay home with them. And you, you know what I mean? Like, it feels a lot like that language. Um, but that's just not how people live. You, you talked a little bit about um, uh, failing and learning from your failures. I think it's also something that we kind of skip over in our world because we don't want to talk about the failures and uh, that kind of was a big flop. So I can ask you again, what failures have you really learned big lessons from in the magical world? Um, I failed at a lot of stuff. <laughs> I've failed at, um, I failed at coven leadership several times um, in a lot. I mean, in a lot of different ways um, I've failed at, um, I failed at getting my points across as an author. I've said the wrong thing on social media. I've, I mean, I've, I've on a smaller level, like, you know, at some point, if you're learning to work magic and you're having an effect out in the world, like you're going to fail at a lot of stuff. Presumably you're trying a lot of new techniques just on a practical level. Um, and stuff won't work. And that doesn't mean that you're not suitable to be a witch or whatever. It means that it's actually a skill set that requires practice. Um, I struggle the most, I think, with the social stuff, like left to my own devices and resources to teach myself and space to experiment or whatever. I'm pretty good, like if you leave me in a room, like to accomplish a task. But if you put me in a crowd and you ask me to think about ideas, I often get caught up in anticipating how other people are going to react or getting maybe too invested in those anticipations, right? Um, writing and releasing a book is a good example of that. Um, I, again, I always feel like I'm being kind of a naysayer, but I really don't mean it this way at all. There's a lot of people, most of us, maybe myself included, definitely myself included, who am I kidding, where you think, oh, I just signed a contract with Llewellyn or Wiser or whatever. I'm going to write a book. 
that on some level is going to make me famous, right? Like I'm going to be able to quit my day job or I'm going to get invited to speak at events or I'm going to whatever. Like I think people have dreams and that's good. Like that's normal. But when that doesn't happen, it can be a <laughs> like it's a letdown um, and it's an embarrassing letdown because nobody wants to admit that like, well, I was really hoping that I would be the next like Christopher Penzak or Scott Cunningham or whoever, right? Like <laughs> I was really hoping that I could just quit my day job and write books and be famous and people would tell me that I inspired them to be witches 30 years from now or whatever. Um, but that's not what actually happens. And when that doesn't happen, you're left with, okay, like, what am I actually doing then? Like, if that's no longer a factor, even if it was a small factor, and I, I kind of just don't believe, writing a book, <laughs> I don't believe people when they say that, like, it's not about attention or it's not about ego. Of course your ego is involved, because if your ego wasn't involved, there are 800 million better, more efficient, less expensive, less time-consuming ways to get ideas out there. <laughs> Like there's just a hundred million other things that you could do <laughs> that aren't writing a book. Um, I think we write books because we want that kind of attention. Like on, it's, of course the ego is involved. Um, but when you realize that like that, that can't be the thing, however tiny a thing it was, you have to ask yourself what your actual priorities are. Um, and that's something that I've had to do in the last few years. Again, not because I thought I was going to be like a witch rock star or whatever, but there's always the hope of like, what, wouldn't it be cool if I got to like professionally do witch stuff? Wouldn't it be cool to have a book on like the New York times bestseller? Wouldn't it be cool to like get an agent and be able to write whatever? Like, of course I thought that way. Um, but now I'm making different choices about the kind of stuff that I put out into the world because I'm thinking more long-term. Um, so is it a failure? It certainly feels like a failure in the moment, um, but it, it ends up being good and informative in the end. Lauren, there's so much in what you just said. Thank you so much for your honesty and all of that. of just like the real wake up call of, oh, I'm not going to be that, you know, rock star in, in, in my own eyes, which I totally love. But the other thing that I love what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that the only th one of the sayings that I love to say all the time is that transformation only happens in action. So it's like when you actually get out there, when you talk to the publishers and you get the book written and then, oh, wow, look, I realized this about myself. It's not the ticket to witch rock starhood, you know, that sort of thing. Right. It's, but it's the actual doing. Like I can see that you're on the court, you're playing the game, you're writing the books, you're talking at, you know, you're talking at events. And that's what's giving you the transformation of who you are and where you were at that, you know, the 20 something year old new witch who's just like, am I really a witch or not to now I'm, you know, I've got books out there that, you know, say I'm a witch and, you know, there's that authority behind you because you've written a book. Right. So I just love that. That's the, that's how you're like, you're learning through doing. Totally. And it's not even, I mean, I picked the author thing just because I happen to be one, but I could say the exact same thing about being a coven leader. I think there's a lot of people who talk about initiation that way, whatever your tradition is, if you're on an initiatory track, there's definitely this idea that, oh, it's all going to make sense once I'm initiated. And your high priestess or whoever can tell you all day long, LOL, like, okay. <laughs> 
but we don't really ever believe that person, right? We always think it's going to be, it's going to be different for me. And it's going to, and I, you know, I think most of the people in my life who've been through initiatory experiences will tell you that they were profound on some level, but some of those people didn't realize that they were profound until they went through a disappointment about them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Where, you know, you really think the goddess is just going to physically manifest in front of you. Like, and nobody says it out loud most of the time, but there's that hope, right? Or, oh, I've, you know, I've suffered through second, right? I've been offered third. It's all going to make sense to me. My high priestess used to make jokes about how everybody thinks I'm going to give them Dumbo's magic feather. (laughs) Like, during that, and I can tell you for 10 years that I'm just, I'm not going to do that, but everybody still expects most magic feather. Um, and when you have the title, when you have the degree, when you have the initiates under you, when you're running the coven, when you're the pagan pride day coordinator or the festival leader or the teacher, like whatever your leadership role is, and you realize that that thing also doesn't inherently make you feel secure or make you authoritative or make your life make sense all the time, then you have to stop again and ask yourself, okay, what am I actually doing then? And that's really, really hard. Oh, Thorne. Thank you. There's so much in what you're saying. I just, I love your authenticity of who you are as a witch in the world. And really, like, I, I, I loved you before, but now you're really a witch rock star in my world. So, oh, thanks. I still have to go to work tomorrow, though. <laughs> you still have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Clients are still going to yell at me, you know. <laughs> but thank you so much. You're such an amazing example of integrating the magic into your daily life and using the magic for learning and growth and for opportunities. And uh, you're just everything that we are standing for here. So thank you so much for coming on today. I've learned so much from you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for your honesty. You're absolutely dead honest and you're not trying to paint yourself a picture of looking any, you're really just saying, this is who I am and this is what it is. And I appreciate that very much. I'm trying. I think that's, that's always a work in progress. Um, and that's, that's a learned behavior. (laughs) I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being here today. I know our listeners got a lot out of you. If you'd like to, uh, find out more about Thorne and follow her journey. All of her socials are in the show notes. So please go and follow her. Her website is www.thorntewitch.com. Am I right? Yes, you are. No E on Thorne. No E on Thorn. So T-H-O-R-N, thewit.com. So go and follow Thorn on all of her socials um, and you can learn so much more about her. Thank you again for your time and your expertise. We really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Now go and take that magic into your day. If you really liked our podcast and don't want to miss another episode, please subscribe and or follow. This allows others to find us more easily and the magic will be multiplied. And we all want more magic in the world. You can also help others find us by rating us and leaving a stellar review. The Grounded Magic Podcast is powered by Indigo Fires Productions. Sound engineered by Eric Tarot of Tarot Studios. Music composed and performed by Eric Tarot. Online business management by Natalie Gallagher of Iomi Digital. 
founded by April Thoreau and Sabrina Marie Chase. <laughs>